Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. guys and welcome back to another ladies who law school podcast episode i'm sam and i'm Haley. and this episode is brought to you by barcast audio so barcast audio is a great tool to use if you are preparing for the bar you know that's coming up like this summer so if you are preparing for the bar and you need something to listen to that's going to prepare you for the bar quite thoroughly actually Um, In the car, in the shower, cooking, walking your dog, spin class, literally whatever, you can listen to BarCast Audio. There's seven MB subjects, so it covers a good portion of what you'll need to learn. And they have like mnemonics and just questions. And honestly, I've been using it in law school and it's been great for con law and evidence. So I'm sure that it would be great if you are trying to just brush up on your bar skills. Yeah, guys, make sure and use code LAW on barcastaudio.com. That's LAW, L-A-W, on barcastaudio.com for 10% off your MBE pack. Like Samantha said, it is a great resource to touch up on all the subjects that you're going to be covered over on the bar. And if you're a 1L, 2L, maybe even a 3L taking some of these classes, it's a great chance to use something different to study. So for this episode, we have a guest, but before we get to that, we just wanted to catch up with you guys. And, you know, I feel like we haven't really talk to you guys in a minute, um, just like personal wise. So we have a Facebook post that we want to talk about. And then, yeah. Like Samantha said, we had a Facebook post by a listener in our Facebook group and she asked for some advice. She said that she can't get ahead of the, the work. It's so hard. She feels like she's falling behind. She's drowning. She can't keep up. She's never doing enough. I mean, this just sounds like a broken record that we've all heard and been on. Um, And that she was on the verge of dropping out. So we wanted to talk about that because even as 2Ls, we feel burnout. We feel stress. We feel anxiety and overwhelmed because basically just reading that aloud, that's what that is. You're just feeling like you can't catch up and that you're just falling behind and behind. And it's like this dream that you have and you wake up in a night terror, right? So we want to address this. And there was a listener who is so sweet and commented to the other listener a huge long paragraph about why she shouldn't drop out. And after reading it, we thought, this is great. We need to share this with all of you guys and just kind of outline some things if you might be feeling this way and what you can do to kind of just combat that overwhelm feeling because it's so relevant. It's so prevalent. I feel it as a 2L. I know you guys feel it as 1Ls. We felt it as 1Ls. It's just part of the law school culture. So let's dive in. Also, just before we begin on the topic of dropping out, like I think there's a difference between dropping out because of grades and then like dropping out because of something in your life happens or, you know, you, you think the law is not for you. Um, either way, like definitely talk to like a therapist or somebody that you trust in your life and kind of get these things sorted out because the reasons that you want to feel like you're, you know, want to drop out can be, I mean, some of them can be fixed. Like if it's grades, 
like you can improve. If it's mental health, like you can seek help and try to get things moving in a way where you don't feel that way anymore, right? But also, I want to also validate people who get to law school and they realize it's maybe not for them and that's totally okay too. And, you know, either way, like you're going to find what you need to do, whether that's staying or not staying in law school. And, you know, if you ever need to talk to anybody about this, like you can always reach out to us because I know a lot of you don't have, you know, you're on in Zoom school of law and you don't have a lot of people to talk to. You can always reach out to us. And of course, we'll tell you like, please don't drop out. But also like everyone's life is very different and people drop out for different reasons. And, you know, it's good to be understanding of those situations. It's a great way to put it. And like she said, if you are feeling like you want to drop out or you're having that serious conversation with yourself, then know that you can talk to us and that we'll be able to listen no matter if you really do think that it's the right thing. We won't just push onto you to stay, right? So with that being said, directed towards the listener and a few other girls who commented and were like, I'm following this thread because I'm feeling the same way. I think one of the best things that Liz, that's the listener who replied this beautiful long answer, she told them was your brain is changing and it feels like you're playing a losing game. It's so true. You guys, your brain is changing. I describe that all the time that you're learning this new language and you've never seen it before. And now you're immersing yourself in it and you're supposed to be like, I don't know the best. That's the way you're wired. That's just not going to happen. So you have to recognize that. Also, your teachers assign an insane amount of homework and are constantly playing hide the ball. In that sense, your teachers are asking you to understand hundreds of pages of reading. And as a 1L, you are reading a new language. You know how long that's going to take you to understand that? Your reading probably takes you five hours. You're running out of time, right? Like I get it. The feeling of falling behind and drowning, like, oh my God, you guys, I never get to catch up. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, of course. She also said that your entire life becomes law school and it's incredibly discouraging when you aren't excelling. And I just can't validate that one enough that I'm going to go with a guess here and say that the listener who asked this didn't do too well um, last semester, got some grades that she never expected for herself. And now you're questioning everything because you're not excelling. And it and, and we've always found our validation in excelling and that that, that that solidified that we were doing the right thing. And there's a few other tips that we're going to go over that you can think about instead of giving all your validation and identity to grades, because we've done that for so long. I get it. We were all very smart in high school, undergrad, maybe at your works before coming to law school. And this is a completely different ballgame. So we can't compare it to that, you know? All right. So she gave us a list of three things to do for you guys who are thinking this way and need some encouragement. So the first one is don't obsess over grades. Just put forth your best effort. So we've said this before, at the end of the day, grades, the only thing they're important for is literally if you are trying to get into like the top firm in your city, you know, like that that's the only time they're really going to care about your grades, you know, but for the majority of us in law school, because think about it, there's like, what, 200 law schools in the United States out of every law school about the only what top 20% is going to get those jobs at those big firms. And then the rest of us are going to have the normal lawyer jobs. And guess what? They will not be asking your grades at most of these jobs. Literally, every lawyer has told us that. They don't ask about grades. So if that's what's worrying you, like you will be okay. Like you, All you need to do is literally just pass. Mm-hmm. That is all you have to do. So if you are in academic probation right now, I don't know if this listener was, but if to those people that may be, like you got this. Like there's still time for you to improve. Like listen to our episodes where we talk to like Elizabeth Freeman, where she talks about making really good grades and her study methods. And there's a bunch of resources out there for you guys to 
Excel and ask for help seriously because if you really want it, like you can do it, you know? And I've seen, and we're going to have a guest on in a few weeks. We had, uh, we knew, knew someone who was feeling really down about their grades at, after their first semester of 1.0. And they literally turned it around because they cared so much. And um, that interview will be coming up soon. So you guys can listen to that, but it can be done. Trust me. It's 100% possible. And the second thing is to basically look at the ways you can reduce the amount of work you're doing, you know, basically work smarter, not harder. And I think maybe that's what that listener did, right? The one who turned it around. I'm interested to see, but there's a few things that you can do to try and save yourself some time. Um, Book briefing instead of case briefing. Obviously people are going to argue this and die on a hill for this, but let's be real. You got to do what works for you and you need to do what's going to help you feel the best and get to where you need to be with that reading. So book briefing using Quimby. I know um, we've gone through a kind of a love-hate relationship with Quimby ourselves, where we used to use the videos, then read, or we would read and then watch the videos. Sometimes we don't read, watch the videos. Sometimes we use it for finals. But I know I've been seeing on Instagram so many people using Quimby prior to um, writing and doing their case briefs and stuff. Um, And I think it's really helpful when you're learning that new language, right? It's really helpful to kind of get someone to tell you what's actually going on because it's hard to recognize those legal issues. So recognize that you are going to have to still do the reading and everything, but it's just that nice groundbreak, you know, icebreaker kind of thing into the subject that can really help you. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go. Whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. And that's why Quimby is a supplement because it's just supplementing what you're supposed to be reading. I know we've mentioned, like Haley said, that we sometimes would watch it before and watch it after. And I find that during 1L, Quimby was the most helpful for sure. When you're reading a fact pattern, you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck is going on here? And then you can just go watch the Quimby video and it's like, oh... It's so simple because sometimes these cases are so old and the language is just so crazy that it is really hard to understand. So definitely Quimby, I recommend it for 1L. I know a lot of people say like, don't do it. Like you're hurting yourself by looking at Quimby. But if you find that you need that extra help, like I really am a big proponent of get that extra help, like get anything you need. Because guess what? I used Quimby, I made good grades, and I'm doing fine, and I still learn the material, so we're good. Yeah, and like sometimes you hear people say like, oh, you won't learn how to case brief or whatever. Okay, throw all that out the window. If we're at a point of overwhelm and we're just trying to survive, it's survival instincts. We're trying to do exactly what she said 
save time and work smarter, not harder. So we're using Quimby to understand this so that when we, when we read, we're target reading, we're engaged and we're understanding, we're looking for certain rules, things like that. And also, if you don't have Quimby, there's other sources you can use. She also recommended West Academic Study Aids. Um, you can get them through your school. You can also buy them, you know, the the physical copies or ebooks. Um, but check with your school and see if they have the free online resources because that's what we use a ton now that we are two L's. Um, I just read those or listen to it, or we use Barcast Audio, different things like that. Also, pro tip, if you're a 1L and you haven't paid for Quimby and your school doesn't offer Quimby, a lot of the 1L like big cases, like the popular ones, especially in like CivPro, they're all on YouTube. Um, like the Quimby versions of the videos are on YouTube. So you can still access a lot of these like bigger cases. Also, there's like other people who do video case briefs on YouTube for a lot of these bigger cases. And sometimes they even explain them better than Quimby and in more depth. And I'll just link all of my favorite uh, YouTube people for studying in the show notes because I had someone actually the other day message us and they were like, who's that guy that like taught you guys how to write your CivPro essay? And I think we talked about that like so long ago, mm-hmm. but he is literally the best and I will link him below. And finally, guys, The best thing that you can do for yourself is to talk with your professors, have those meetings, ask them what you can do. If you have a TA or, you know, a fellow at school, you should talk to them and use them as your resource or even talking to your school's mental health counselor or therapist, your personal therapist, um, using BetterHelp, one of our sponsors, to talk to someone and tell them how you're feeling. And most of the time, they are able to give you a targeted approach and a way to, you know, an outsider's point of view on what to do in your situation. And sometimes that's all we need is someone to just tell us everything's going to be okay and look at our physical situation, our fact pattern, and tell us that, you know, we can do this. And While we can't tell you specifically for each of your stories, we want you to know that these are some things that you can use regardless. And yeah, like I said before, like if you're in law school and you came to law school knowing that this is what you want to do, like you're going to find a way to do it. All of us who have been in your situation feeling that imposter syndrome, you always find a way out of it. Even if it's like reading a case and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And then you're like thinking to yourself, oh, this is why I came to law school. Mm -hmm. Or you, like me, I was reading corporations the other day and I was like laughing to myself like a freak by myself in my (laughs) office. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so funny that this like guy conned his company. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm such a nerd. Like, this is why I'm in law school. You know what I mean? Like you will get these moments where you're just like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And hold on to those moments. Like when you're sitting in a courtroom watching what's going on and you like get the chills hold on to those moments because those are little reminders that like you're supposed to be there okay so just you know my little piece of advice yeah and it can be really hard to have those moments in 1L because you're really just not gonna have those in 1Ls I want to validate that (laughs) but also you have to get out there and work I think that's why the first summer is so helpful in just validating that you're supposed to be a lawyer But also, if you're on Zoom this whole time, like you probably have huge Zoom fatigue and you're just thinking, what the heck am I doing? Why am I paying so much money? Like, I want to validate that too. Like, give yourself some time though. Be patient. Realize that nothing good happens overnight and this hard work that you're putting in and keep putting in, it will pay off. I just want to validate that. So, yeah, I mean, Think about it. And this is something my, my boss said to me. Um, I can, we can end it on this, but um, it's all about like that delayed gratification. You come to law school knowing that your, your peak, of, peak of your career for most people is going to be like, what, 10 years out of law school for most. And that's like, that's the goal you're working for right now. Like you've already shown yourself that you can delay your gratification and Law school is just one of those hurdles that you have to go through to become a lawyer. And every single lawyer that we talk to is like, yeah, law school sucks. But once you just pass the bar, like that's all you have to do. 
So if you're a 1L, like, trust me, 2L is so close. And once you're 2L, like, I can't even believe it. We're about to be 3Ls. Like, it goes by so fast, guys. And I promise you, if you just hold on to what reminded you every single day to even apply to law school, just remind yourself of that and like keep that alive, right? Because I feel like that can motivate you when you really can't find the motivation anywhere else. Absolutely. Well, guys, please help us welcome our guest. She graduated from Florida State University and she attended Barry University School of Law. She currently practices and owns her own practice in Florida, Ms. Brittany Alexander. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Brittany Alexander. So Brittany, tell me a little bit about yourself. So my name is Brittany Alexander. I go by Lawyer Britt. I'm a law firm owner in sunny South Florida. I practice first party property, which is just a fancy way of saying that I do property insurance companies in Florida. Did you go to school in Florida? Like how did you end up there? I did. I'm actually from Florida. I am a Floridian, which I know there's not very many of us, but... I grew up in Orlando. I went to Florida State for undergrad, and then I moved back to Orlando and lived with my parents for law school. I went to Barry University. Their college is in Miami, but the law school is in Orlando. So can you tell us a little bit about why you chose Barry and kind of the loss, like the application process and you know, how many schools did you apply to and all of that? Yeah. So I chose Barry really for two reasons, two main reasons, because it, they gave a great scholarship. So I already knew I was getting a scholarship, you know, law school is freaking expensive. So it's always nice to have some taken off. Um, still have student loans, but not as many as I probably would have. And I, I chose Barry mainly because I got to live with my parents. So I didn't have to go and find another place to live, pay for an apartment, figure out how to cook and clean. So that was really nice to move back. And it was also, I kind of liked living with my parents in law school. You know, like you're, you're out of like the high school phase and you're now into like the, you're an adult. So it's a different kind of relationship. And I'm really happy that I moved there for law school. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, And I I really, I ended up loving Barry. I ended up really, really loving it. So I'm glad that I chose it. you know, for whatever reasons that I did. And the law school, the application process. So I didn't do as well as I wanted to on the LSAT, which you probably saw, I made a video about like LSAT study tips. And I was like, here's what you should do, but what I did not do. So I did do that well, but I was like, this sucks. I'm never taking this LSAT again. I'm just doing it with this score. I'm going to apply to everywhere that has like this score within their you know, range of people they accept. So I did, and it was all Florida because I know I didn't want to move out of state. And, um, you know, I like toured like Florida Postal and Nova and a couple other places like St. Thomas, places I can remember. And I got in, I was like, mm, going to go back to Orlando. And, and like I said, I'm really glad I did. It was, I loved my experience at Barry. So what would you say were some of your biggest struggles and your biggest accomplishments while you were in law school at Barry? So, okay, I'll start with accomplishments. So I, I booked my first ever law school exam, tour one. And I remember that was like the first law school class that we had it was like 8 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And oh my gosh, the professor was like crazy about being on time. If you were a minute late, you were like, you were not coming into class. He was nuts. And it was a five hour exam. So I, I can't even, I don't even know how many practice essays I did for that exam, but I did so many and I booked that class. And it was the first class that we had ever, t- first exam that we had ever taken in law school. And I was just like amazed. I was really happy with my performance on that. I actually booked three classes in law school and I was just somebody who was kind of known to know what they were doing or, you know, somebody you could ask questions to or bounce ideas off of and like study with. So that was like probably my greatest accomplishment. My greatest struggle was FOMO. Like after college, I, I was really one of the only people I knew that went on to a graduate degree. Like all of my friends went on to work or took like a gap year before they did anything. So they're all like making money and like doing fun things. And I'm sitting here like every day reading a law school textbook. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like, and this is, I think when like stories first became a thing. So I'm like watching people like I know out in Miami, like at pool parties and I'm sitting here like reading through like property and I'm like, are you kidding? This is so <laughs> terrible. Oh my gosh, I hate this. But ended up, ended up paying off big time. So I'm glad that I did it when I did. 
So what was your first internship in law school? I actually didn't really have an internship. So I worked for a an estate planning firm, just as like, a, I guess you call it an intern. They called it a clerk then, um, right before I started law school. I went to law school in August, 2014. So that summer I worked for this firm and it was a woman that my father knew. He, he's a lawyer too. And then I went through my whole first year, didn't work. Um, I actually studied abroad in the summer, so I didn't work then either. And then summer after my second year, I worked for my dad a little bit. Oh, and I also, I clerked for a judge before that during my second year. So that's really like all of the law firm like job experience I had before I just got shot out into the real world of being an attorney. So, and I don't necessarily recommend that. Like, I think you probably can work your second year, you know, get some actual experience of like how to draft something because I was absolutely lost my first year, but that was kind of my work experience. And also funny story, because we're talking about internships. So I had a chance after my first year to, um, to intern, like, you know, doing the, I already forget what they call it because I didn't do it, but doing that summer internship. Oh, that's what they call it. Summer, summer associate, summer associate. That's what they call it. Doing a summer associate position. Um, after my first year with a pretty big law firm, like I had a connection, somebody knew somebody and they were like, Oh, you want to come here? You can be one. I'll get you a spot. Right. And it was like huge, big things are like a big law firm all over the country. And I went to one of my professors and I was like, should I do it? And he was like, you'd be a fool not to do it. Like you need to do it. But I really wanted to study abroad. And the only time I was like, really going to be able to do it was that summer. I was like, screw it. Like I'm going to go abroad. And I went abroad. It was a, it was a law school study abroad. So I went abroad to Spain. I traveled all over Europe. I did birthright out in, um, uh, in Israel. I mean, I had the time in my life. I was gone for like two months too. So it was now I'm looking back and I was like, that was so worth it. Like, when was I ever going to get that opportunity again? It might've, I don't know who knows like what, how my life would have panned out had I done that internship, but I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of big law anyway. So I'm glad I did it the way that I did and just kind of skipped out on the internship. Okay. So just a few questions. Whenever you said earlier yeah. that you booked your exam, what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So booking your exam just means um, that you get the highest grade in the class. So normally, traditionally your, your um, whole grade is based off your final, I guess some law schools, my law school actually started doing it where um it's you have like a midterm that's worth like 10% of your grade or something like that. But really your whole grade is based off the final. So if you get the highest grade on the final, you booked the class. Meaning you okay. got the highest grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that'd be similar. I guess at our school we call it like a Cali. They would Cali the class. So I guess every school yeah. might have yeah. their own way to say terminology. It. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I just exactly. was thinking that when you were talking about it. But also you talked about when on the uh topic of internships that you worked with a judge. Um, what did you think about that? Was it a civil judge criminal? How did that tie into what you do now? Yeah, it was complex business court. And I think I was, I think I really lucked out because, so I clerked for judge Alice Blackwell, Ninth circuit, this in Florida. Um, I just learned like how to interact with people in court, you know, cause like you see TV shows all the time, like when you're growing up or like, I, even like I like idolized Elle Woods and like watched that, you know, Legally Blonde and she stands in the courtroom and she was like, you know, like you're washing your hair, like, you know, all these kind of things. And I, you think it's something, but it's really not anything like that, especially when it's like a business issue or like a contractual issue, not even close to as exciting. So it got me used to like the procedure of a court how to interact with people, you know, how it actually works on the inside. I wouldn't say that I learned too much law per se. I mean, I was researching issues. Okay. It's back yeah, to yellow. So you're, you're good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so <laughs> I just want to ask a little bit about study abroad because we've talked to a few lawyers now that have done study yeah. abroad in law school. And I know that before COVID, our school offered it, um, and we didn't obviously get the chance to, to do it. But uh, for anyone who post-COVID world want to do study abroad, like, do you recommend it? What what kind of, like, what, what's what the process do? like? And yeah, what do you do? Yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely 100% recommend it. The way that it works with my, uh, my class when I went over is, so Barry and St. Thomas, I mean, I think they still do this, but they had a, a, like a joint program and 
a huge reason why I went is because of the the room and board for the program to go to Madrid, it was El Escorial, it's out of uh, Madrid, Spain, um, was going to be the same as taking summer classes at uh, Barry, you know, in Orlando. I was like, oh, same thing. I'll just go like, you know, it'll be a fun time. I thought it was amazing because um, it's just like a different feel. So you got to experience, and they had teachers that would, that were teachers in Spain, like law professors in Spain come and teach us. And it was interesting to see like, just how different the laws are in different places. And I took like maritime law and like international law. And I learned all these things about different lawyers from different places, which is really fun. But it was also great because classes were Monday to Thursday. So everybody in my group took Friday to Monday morning, essentially to go and visit places. So we went to places like we went to Barcelona, we went to Italy and Greece and uh, Amsterdam. And I think I went, I went to London that trip too. Um, went all over the place. Wow. I mean, yeah, hopefully, uh, I mean, I I don't think we would have the chance at this point point in our law school (laughs) career to do that, given, you know, that most of it has been during COVID. But uh, for anyone listening that has the opportunity, anyone else, definitely look into, you know, schools that have these programs because I know I definitely would have taken advantage and obviously you took advantage of it and so many other people have. And if you didn't get that experience in undergrad, like a lot of people, this might be the chance to do it too. Yeah. And I did not get that experience in undergrad. So I was happy to do it in law school. So what would you say is your top tip for an incoming pre-law student? Okay. This, I have two tips. I I was like thinking, I was like, what is the top one? I can't decide. So we're going to go to. So the first one is struggle through reading the cases. Don't use commercial briefs, meaning like looking up a brief online for anybody listening. You can find a brief of a case anywhere online, usually the typical law school uh, cases. But try not to look at those at all until your second semester, even until your second year. Um, I knew a lot of people that used the... It's There's so much reading. There's so much reading in your first year of law school because you're trying you're trying to learn how to think like a lawyer, like a court, right? And and that's the purpose of the reading. So you, it's, it's important to read. I knew a lot of people who used commercial briefs and then it was tough for them to read cases later on. And that's a lot of what you do as an associate is you read cases, and try to figure out how to argue an issue or how an issue is going to pan out. So I think it's worth it to struggle for that first semester or even the first year learn how to read the cases and then you'll be so quick later on that it'll be really worth it. So that's, that's tip one. Tip two is do as many practice essays as you possibly can for every single exam you take, including the bar. I did so many practice essays, even just like outlining out, okay, here are the issues. Here's the rules. Here's what I would say. Right. So helpful. So helpful. So much more than just like trying to memorize or read an outline that's essentially useless. With all that said, working in, uh, it seems like you do, like you mentioned torts and different things like that. And you mentioned comparative negligence. Do you see class, uh, you know, does, is it a lot of the one L subjects that you deal with like property and torts? What does that look like? In real so life? the thing about, yeah, the thing about the one L subject is they tend to pop up often when people ask you questions about your practice area, but also just about anything. Like people come to you and ask you the most random of questions. You know, I think people think you just, you know, enough from your one-all subjects to like know to where, how to, what direction to point them in or what to tell them not to do at least. Right. And with insurance law, so people always say, Oh, like yeah, that must be a lot of property or you must know a lot of property. And like, I know enough, I know enough about like, you know, transfers and ownership and all that good stuff. But what really I deal with every day is contracts. And I loved contracts in school. Like I was like a contract weirdo. I loved drafting. Mm-hmm. Con- I, I booked contract drafting. So that tells you how much of a nerd I was in contract drafting. So it, that's what I use every day. Contracts are all around us all the time. If you interact with anybody, there's a contract there somewhere. Right. So that, that was, that was a huge one for me is, is contracts dealing with that every day, day in and day out. So let's just talk about insurance law for a second. Well, not for a second, for a while. So so how did you get into insurance law? Um, I know you said that you didn't really do money internships during law school. So was that just like what you started right after law school and kind of what has been your journey up until now? 
So I went through law school thinking that I was going to do uh, contractual law. So like I said, my, my dad's an attorney. He has a law firm. He does uh, corporate law. So he helps businesses with all their various things. It's not really a litigation. So they, he doesn't go to court ever. He used to go to court a couple of times in the past, but I don't think he's been to court in like decades. So I'm in litigation, right? And I didn't want to be in litigation, but out of school, I was like, I'm going to do corporate law. There's like no jobs available for young attorneys in corporate law. It's all the, it's, like, it's all white hair, whatever they call it. It's all old men, usually old people who are, you know, have their businesses that have been dealing with them for years and years and years. And it's tough to get in in the startup space because a lot of startups like don't have money to retain lawyers and whatnot. So my dad was like, why don't you get a job in commercial litigation, which is like businesses suing each other or getting sued. And it's like, that way you can build the um, relationship with the business. And then, then you open the corporate side and, and, and go that way. So I got a job at like a mid-sized firm here in South Florida doing what I thought was going to be commercial litigation. So I got hired the, the job post at commercial litigator. I was like, yes, hire me. And they hired me. I actually got hired in the interview and I was so excited. I was like, yes, we're going to, we're going to sue businesses. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then fast forward and I start the job and they had like very little commercial litigation. And like the partner I was working under was like 70 years old. So he'd been doing this forever. And he just had like a lot, a lot of everything. He's like one of those old attorneys who does everything out of the sun. Somebody comes to him with an issue and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, we can handle that. So I was doing like negligence. I was doing all sorts of stuff. I, I did like a, a trust. I was doing like property transfers. It was great because I got a lot of experience and I learned a lot of things, but it was not what I wanted to be doing. And the huge insurance defense file started spilling over onto my desk. So I started doing this insurance defense. I had no idea. I'd never looked at insurance policy, never looked at an estimate. I didn't know that there were any issues with roofs. I thought you had one. It was done. So started doing that. Realized I did not like being in a mid-sized firm. Realized I did not like insurance defense. Some people do like that. Some people enjoy bigger firms because there's a lot of resources and a lot of camaraderie and people enjoy that. Um, but I did not. And so I started doing uh, plaintiffs. I left the big firm, went to a small firm to do plaintiffs, representing the homeowners against the insurance companies that I was just working for. And then I opened my own firm. So I kind of like fell into this practice area because I knew nothing about it. Like nobody goes to law school. They're like, oh, like I'm going to sue like property insurance companies. Like I'm going to do first party <laughs> property. Like No one says that. People want to be family lawyers, criminal defense, estate planning. Like they want the fun stuff. Like this yeah. is like, this is boring, not <laughs> sexy. <laughs> That's really funny that you say that. Okay. So what does a typical day in the life at your current job look like? So now what I, a lot of what I do is just making sure the cases are moving through the litigation process. So owning my own firm, like I employ a staff, a team, I guess I should call them. I employ a team and, um, you know, I've got paralegals, assistants. I have an attorney that works for me, like freelancing style. Um, and I just am making sure constantly that the cases, what's hap what needs to happen in the cases is happening. So cases are getting filed. They're getting served. We're moving through the discovery process, taking depositions and doing um, written discovery and making sure things are noticed set for trial. So that's a lot of what I do day in and day out. Um, and, all, and kind of along with that, making sure that we have the correct systems. So systems meaning like processes and procedures to make sure that actually happens. And then also a lot of what I do is communicating with opposing counsels to resolve issues or to negotiate settlements, um, you know, calling clients to give them updates, educate them about what's going on in their case, talk about offers. And then also a, a ton, a ton, a ton of intake calls you know, dealing with um, marketing, bringing in clients, making sure that they're signing agreements or we're getting started on their cases. So that is, that's pretty much fills up my entire day, every day. So when you decided to open up your firm, how did you decide that? And how did you start building it? Like, when did you decide that you needed to hire people or were you just doing it on your own for a bit? How was your process for that? I hired my first assistant five days into opening my firm because I knew kind of from like day one that I wanted this to be not a, not a big firm. That's not the correct term, but I wasn't trying to be just a solo 
with a handful of cases, you know, working through them. Like I knew I wanted to build this into something that could eventually run on its own. So I started very early making systems, like I said, so processes and procedures for everything to happen that I could should, you know, give to a team that they could implement. So I didn't waste any time bringing on people um, to make sure that I was able to scale and grow, you know, according to how my firm was growing. But I was thinking of something. Um, you know how you mentioned earlier that you're, you wanted to do corporate like business law and basically that's just transactional, right? And your dad said, okay, well, you're going to have to do some litigation work. Do you feel like a lot of young lawyers face that dilemma, um, that want to do transactional law, but end up having to do litigation? And do you feel like you learned a lot doing litigation? Yeah. I feel like I've learned a ton doing litigation because issues arise so pretty frequently in litigation because people are filing motions to dismiss and motions for summary judgment. And there's always someone's making an argument to get rid of your case Mm -hmm. essentially. So there's a lot of research there. So there's a lot of learning and a lot of um, figuring out how to present yourself and articulate your position and be able to talk in front of a court and whatnot. Um, So I, I definitely have learned a lot in litigation and I do like it. I think that when I first started practicing and I, I graduated in December of 2016 and I started practicing in right after the February 2017 bar. Um, and I really was like, not unsure, but I was taking advice to my dad. He had already done this. What do I do? You know? And I think there was, right. There was a huge barrier to doing contractual law, but I think nowadays, I don't know where it's not that far away from, you know, we're only four years later, but I think nowadays, especially with like people being able to do social media and whatnot to advertise their services. I think it's almost a little bit easier to get into contractual law, especially because there's a lot of young entrepreneurs or a lot of entrepreneurs that are in their twenties and thirties that need corporate help, um, not corporate help, corporate law, corporate legal help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's almost easier to get into that field if that's what you want to do than it was even a few years ago. Okay. Going off of that, I mean, you're exactly right. Right now in the social media realm, people are using that towards their business. So we know that you use social media to advertise and talk about law. Yeah. How has that been for your brand? What do you think is the importance of that and like growing your brand? I think it's absolutely essential. I think if there are lawyers who want to open their own firms or, uh, you know, bring in business, become partner, or just literally obtain clients for any reason they need to be on social media. I think it's just like essential now. Here, I'll start from the beginning. So I started doing it because I was at a, a dinner or party, whatever it was. Uh, this is over a year ago. And one of my best friend's boyfriends was like, oh, hey, like, what kind of law do you do again? <laughs> and like, I've known this kid for like three years. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, how does he not know what kind of law I do? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it. I was like, why would anybody know what kind of law I do? I don't tell yeah. anybody, you know what I mean? I was just like, I don't, I just, people know I'm a lawyer, but like, they have no idea like who I help or how I help them. Yeah. And so, and I saw a few other attorneys on social media who were posting videos about like, hey, this is how I help people. And it was a lot of PI attorneys. A lot of PI attorneys and criminal defense attorneys too. Yeah. Um, and I was always been in the realm, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is all those. Cause those are, like I said, those are like the sexy kind of law, right? Yeah. Those are, like, people actually want to hear about those fun things. Like, I don't know if you follow a lawyer, Kelly, she does family law, but like her, she does like family law war stories series where she'll like say a crazy thing that happened in a case. And I'm like, see, that's insane. Like I don't get cases like that. Right. So I'm like, trying to figure out how I can post videos and like make them actually entertaining. So people are not going to watch them. Um, you know, and I, people started actually watching them or responding to them and like, no, they're not as exciting as a family law war story or somebody talking about, you know, what to do if you get arrested or what to do if you get in a car accident. But, um, you know, homeowners, there's, I mean, there's everybody has social media. Like think of one person, you know, that doesn't have social media. That's in a, you know, whatever age group. Um, people started messaging me a homeowner's hey i just bought a home or i'm thinking about buying a home like i had a question about this or i love your videos and people started reaching out like even just even companies you know that could refer cases like roofers and plumbers would reach out and say hey like i want to work with you or i know somebody who's got a roof like can they contact you 
And that was the absolute game changer for bringing in business. That's, that's my sole focus is social media for bringing in business. So for anyone who is graduating law school or has just taken the bar, or maybe they've been working for a few years and they want to open up their own firm, what is the first step into this social media law sphere that they should do? Like, is it Instagram? Is it TikTok? Like, what is your recommendation? Because I know it's constantly changing. True. But my recommendation is always going to be whatever feels best for you. So if like, for example, if I know TikTok is like the up and coming and I do like TikTok, but if you're somebody who doesn't like TikTok, who doesn't spend time on TikTok, who just dreads the idea of posting a TikTok, do not start on TikTok. Find something else you actually like. So like I I started on Instagram because that's where I spent all my time. I knew I knew other attorneys who were posting things on Facebook and I was like, ugh, Facebook, like so over Facebook, like it's for old people, I can't do it. So I started focusing on Instagram specifically because I knew how it worked. I knew what the trends were, I knew what to post. Mm -hmm. So start where you're comfortable because if you don't, you're gonna miss out on trends. You're gonna like you if you're not into it, also if you're not excited about making a video and posting it, you're not going to actually do it. So start where you'd like to start. And I also want to say, if you are graduating or you are just take, you know, just took the bar, started working, um, it may also be beneficial depending on how much experience you have. It may also be beneficial to just take a year and just focus on learning your practice area because while you're still trying to learn, it's going to be hard to talk to potential clients because you're not going to know what issues to look for or what to ask them, what to talk to them about or what even to post as content. So it, you know, it almost may be more beneficial to learn and kind of document your first year and and then start posting content that's specific to your, to your practice area. Although I do know a few attorneys who worked for, you know, law firms during all through law school and they already knew everything about their practice area. So they, you know, they opened their own firms or they went right into bringing in business after, after graduating. So just decide where you're at, I suppose. That's really great advice. What would you say is your overall tip for a law student that wants to get into insurance law and the plaintiff side of all of it? People always ask me if they have to do defense first. I don't think that's necessary. I know uh, attorneys who have only ever worked on the plaintiff side. I would say, you know, find a firm that you enjoy and start working there. You know, the the people you work with are going to be you know, probably the most indicating factor of whether you enjoy where you work. So choose somewhere that you actually enjoy that does, you know, plaintiff's work or, you know, I've seen instances where people will get jobs at a firm that does you know, PI or PIP or something and then say, Hey, I want to start bringing in business for this practice area. Can I do it? And they're never going to say no, you know? Yeah. So I would focus on the people and the culture of the firm first um, but you know, some people say to start in defense so you can like learn the ins and outs. I think you can learn it outside of defense too. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like I hear that a lot too, of like, it's kind of like being, you know, criminal defense or like go work at the DA's office. And right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of and it does give you, it does give you kind of a leg up, you know, to say, oh yeah, I work for the insurance companies or at least you know, even know people on the other side, like adjusters and whatnot, or, you know, prosecutors, I suppose, if you're doing criminal but I don't think it's completely necessary if it's something you don't want to do. So where can everyone find you? Can you share all of your social media, your websites, your LinkedIn, wherever uh, they can reach out? Yes. So best place to find me first and foremost, Instagram. I am lawyer.brit. That's the two T's, lawyer.brit. That's on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Clubhouse, on YouTube, it's just Lawyer Brit, no period in between. Um, my law firm website is premierpropertylaw.com. That's P-R-E-M-I-E-R-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y-L-A-W.com. Um, and I think that... Oh, and you can find me on LinkedIn, too. You can find uh, Premier Property Law on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking about your, you know, law school career and all that you've been able to do with opening up your own firm. I know that I definitely want to open my own firm up. So talking to lawyers who have done it themselves just gives me all these ideas on what I want to do. So (laughs) that's awesome. Great. That's wonderful to hear.
can't wait till you open your own firm. Yeah, especially since you did it in such a short time after graduating law school and passing the bar. Yes, very true. You don't have to be a lawyer for however many years somebody else says in order to open your own firm. Yes. You can always do it your way. Forge your own path. Yes, exactly. Yes, forge your own path. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. Yeah, thank you guys. Have a good night. Wow, guys. So once again, opening up your own firm, it just seems like, you know, all these lawyers are opening up their own firm and I just want to open my own up. And I know that, let's see, a year and six months from now, I I will be eligible (laughs) to open up my own firm because we are manifesting first try bar passage. It's already been said and done. We're manifesting that. So you know, who knows? Maybe I will open my own firm. You guys will just have to stay tuned. It's also really interesting how so many young lawyers are using social media to as a marketing tool. And Brittany is definitely someone who, as a young law student, um, we definitely look up to in that sense, right? She posts a lot of great videos and she's constantly educating her clients and potential clients. Um, And if you've taken legal professions, you know that we're not really supposed to advertise certain ways. So it's very cool to see her navigate the social media realm while still, um, you know, following all the guidelines that we have to um, follow. (laughs) But with that being said, you know, she talked a lot about different things that she did in law school and how, you know, I know that she was a clerk while in law school and different things like that. So if you have any questions, guys, don't hesitate to reach out to her. I know that she does insurance and property law. And I mean, as you can hear in the interview, we ask her about how that ties into one else subject. So reach out to her if you ever have any questions. Also, remember Mike Morse? I don't know if you guys listened to that episode. That was a few weeks ago, but he said it's smart to start building your brand while you're in law school. And honestly, while we were talking to Brittany, it really just reminded me that, yeah, if you want to, if opening up your own firm is something that you're really thinking about, like in starting in law school to build that brand and really get your name out there and, you know, post the videos and the posts and all of that, if it comes natural to you and really use that to your advantage. If you're a social media savvy, like use it to your advantage and start building your brand. Absolutely. Well, guys, you know where to find us. Follow us on Instagram at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. Check us out on TikTok at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. Or you can check us out on Facebook and join our Facebook group, the LWLS Community. As always, stay safe. If you're eligible for your vaccine, like I know in Oklahoma, BTW Oklahomans, students are now eligible to get their vaccine. So please go do that so life can get back to normal. I know Oklahoma is doing really well with their vaccine distribution. So, you know, just claps for that because it's like finally seeing everything, the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just, it's just nice. Yeah, and if you are in a state that is not having such great vaccine distribution, hang in there. You will get it. We've heard many different things, but we're hoping that summer can bring some normalcy. So hang in there. Get to the end of finals, guys. We love you, and you know where to find us if you want to talk. Bye. Bye.